Bible study on Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, where he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So I'm going to stop right there because we've seen in the last few chapters about people who were coming to belief. And what do these people do? They became baptized because Jesus said that was what people needed to do. They needed to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there was, you know, it was the born again concept. So if I don't want to repeat that again, because I already did earlier, but um, read John chapter three. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. So here's a vision again. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. That's kind of crazy. I mean, these are pretty abusive situations that are happening, all because somebody is talking about Jesus as the Messiah who can save them and bring them into an abundant life in God's kingdom. Isn't that crazy? Like, that makes no common sense. Like, why would anybody be, it just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard for me to understand, but I guess because I believe, but it just, it's, it's amazing. So back to scripture. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. 
Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. So I had this underlined in my study guide. And so I will read because the study guide actually has a little paragraph on this. It said, why mention Paul's haircut? Paul evidently had made a temporary Nazarite vow, which included a commitment not to cut his hair during the entire period of his vow and ended with the shaving of his hair. Um, there's more information about what is a Nazarite. Uh, Paul likely did this to show the Jews that he was still committed to the scriptures and he saw himself as a Jew. So again, Paul, you know, as we talked about in a few chapters ago, when Timothy got introduced to it, where he had Timothy circumcised because his mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek, and he wanted to be able to relate to the Jewish people. And so therefore he was circumcised. And so again, here, Paul is doing this again, and he also talks about this in some other scripture I know where he says, you know, to reach these people, he becomes like them. Like he wants to be relatable to people because he wants to, he wants them to get the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus does for every single person that believes. So going back to scripture, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went, to, went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and I don't know, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and a thorough and had a thorough with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. I want to stop right there because uh, I underlined this. He knew only of the baptism of John. So he's been instructed, but he only knew about the baptism of John. This is going back to read chapter three of the book of John. Because Jesus tells Nicodemus that you need to be born again. And there's like two births, born of the water and born of the spirit. The first born of the water is the baptism that John gave. John gave a baptism of repentance. When Jesus started preaching, he went about telling people to repent because the kingdom of God was near. There's a common theme throughout the Bible of repentance. And repentance is, first of all, recognizing something that's sin, asking for forgiveness from God, and turning away from it. You don't keep doing it and asking for forgiveness or relying on grace to save you because you're not perfect. That's kind of a, a twisting of God's words. That's not what Jesus calls for. And if you don't believe it, look at all the church letters that went out in the book of Revelation. So these are all you know, Christians, believers, and 
the common message that Jesus gives to all the churches is repent. Look at it. I mean, check it out. There's like seven different churches in the book of Revelation at the very beginning. That's the common theme. He tells them what they're doing good and what they need to improve on. And he basically says, if you don't repent, here's what's going to happen to you. And so don't think that, don't believe the false teaching of grace. And even Paul says this later, like, you don't, you don't abuse the grace of God. We are saved by grace. It's not by works. But we can't abuse the gift that God gave us. It doesn't mean that because of grace, we can keep on sinning. And even Paul says that in one of his letters to someone in the Bible. I can't remember where it was, but he says, you, you, don't, you don't keep on sinning. You, you stop that. You turn from that. You repent. That means to change your ways, turn to God, become obedient to what God says. That's showing love to God. That's not how you earn salvation. So don't twist those things and make those into working for God's salvation because that's not what it is. People are so like mixed up when it comes to the way that people arrive in heaven. You know, it's all like everybody has a truth. It's just that they, I don't know that a lot of people fully comprehend what it means because they take one part of it and they don't talk about the full picture of it. For example, people will say, all you have to do is believe because there is a verse in the Bible that says, believe, you know, that's, that's how you become saved is you believe. And if you just read that one verse, that's what you would think. You would think, okay, I'm saved because I believe. But if you read the Bible and you read the whole chapter and you read the whole, the whole Bible, really, what you understand is just believe, believing does not save you because do you think Satan believes? Do you think Satan believes that Jesus is who he says? What do you think about the man that Jesus came upon that had seven demons in him? And they said like, who, I don't know if it was seven. It was a number, not a seven. There were, there were more demons than that in him, but he, the, the person spoke to Jesus and said, you know, you know, I know who you are. Why are you here? What are you, what are you going to do to us? Please do not send us, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, because they recognized Jesus. They knew Jesus. So if you believe like that's showing belief, like I recognize you, I know who you are. I believe you exist. You're there. That's not what is going to save you. And I think people get that false idea because of the way they, they get one verse out of the Bible. If you believe you're going to take action because Jesus says so many times, I mean, he talks about repentance. And if you only read one chapter to fully understand what Jesus says about entering the kingdom of God, it's John chapter three. And he, you know, when he explains it to Nicodemus that you have to be born again. So Jesus took care of making it possible. If, Je if Jesus didn't die on the cross and resurrect then it wouldn't be possible for us to be in God's kingdom. So Jesus is the only way. And it is only, it's the gift of his. He was the sacrifice that was required by the law that is in existence that won't go away. The law of sin is death or the wages of sin is death. That's what Jesus broke that curse that was on all of mankind. That's what Jesus broke. And it required a perfect, sinless, 
being to do that. And that was Jesus. Nobody else is perfect and sinless. Nobody else could do that. So Jesus is the only one who made it possible for us. But just because Jesus died on the cross and made it possible doesn't mean that all of us sinners are going to be there. We need to do preparation. We need to prepare ourselves. Jesus even said that when he talked about the 10 virgins in a parable in the gospel of Matthew, I believe. It's probably in multiple ones of them, but um, he talks about the parable of the 10 virgins. These people are believers. They're virgins. They've prepared themselves, and but they don't have the Holy Spirit. The oil is the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So starting with John chapter 3, you have to be born again, born of the water, born of the Spirit. So then there's the parables of the 10 virgins, and they run out of oil, and oil is symbolic of the Spirit. So they don't have the Holy Spirit. So the door shuts, and they're locked out. They're not in the kingdom. But they were prepared. They were virgins. They were already, you know, they had done other things. So they did half of it, but they didn't do the full thing. But, you know, so why would Jesus tell Nicodemus, you have to do these two things, basically. You have to repent. You have to be repent, turn away from your sin, and you have to get the Holy Spirit. And everybody should want the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us stay away from sin. The Holy Spirit is like what Paul says is a deposit on our future, on our future inheritance. I mean, that should be something that we all seek, and that is received through Jesus when our hearts are truly turned towards God, when we are truly seeking to be obedient. We truly want to be, we love God. And that's when Jesus will decide when he gives the Holy Spirit. But purely in scripture, we can see right now that this man that we were just reading about, he only knew of the baptism of John. He didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. So luckily, Paul and his group invited him to their home and explained him the way of God more adequately. Like he only got part the message. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. There were other times in the book of Acts where people did get baptized, but they never received the Holy Spirit. And so then the disciples who were there at the time made it possible for them to have the Holy Spirit um, or talk to them. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. That's what it was. They didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. So they did not receive the Holy Spirit. Well, they were not prepared yet. Um, There's also another parable that Jesus told, and this is about the wedding banquet and, you know, basically God inviting this, you know, Jesus is the groom and then, you know, there's the bride and then there's people who are invited to, you know, to the wedding. And, you know, these are all symbolic or metaphors to explain a concept. And so, there's a man that's there. First of all, you know, people are refusing or turning down, turning down, basically turning down God's invitation. Like God's putting invitations out to the whole entire world. You know, come be a part of my kingdom. Come be at this wedding that's coming up in the future. You know, accept this and come be with me. But people are rejecting it. They are saying, no, you know, I'll do that later. I don't have time. I just, I'm focused on this. God's not their priority. And I know I was like that too for a good portion of my life. God was not my priority. He was in my life, like I cared about God, but he wasn't my priority. I wasn't fully submitted to God. And it takes a decision to do that. Um, And it takes a serious commitment to do that too. Anyway, getting back to 
the parable that Jesus told was that, you know, because all these people turned down God, then he said, well, go out to, you know, others. And I think the first people that he went to were probably the Jews because those were the chosen one of God. And then God opened up the invitation to the Gentiles. And so that was the next one, you know, to just the guy down the street. And so this guy down the street gets invited in, he shows up at the wedding, but then they say, where are your clothes? You're not dressed right for the wedding. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought that was kind of offensive because I was like, they invited him and then he shows up. He was obedient. He came, he did that, but then they're kicking him out and they threw him out. But the, the, the point of the parable was he wasn't prepared. Like Jesus said, you have to be born again. So yeah, you'll be invited, but that doesn't mean that you're automatically there. If you're not prepared, you can't be part of it. And that's what Jesus is telling. So you have two things that you have to do is repent, turn away from your sin, ask for forgiveness from God, and ask Jesus for the Holy Spirit. That's what you have to do. That's all the preparation you have to do. And the Holy Spirit works to change you, works to mold your life. You, you have to have this, um, this uh, sense or feeling or agreement to be submissive to God, to let God guide you. You have to want God to guide, guide you. And God will do that. God loves us. And that's, that's just so important. And I think so many people don't, understand what's in scripture. And they think about, well, I'm saved by grace, not by works. But that's true. You're saved by the grace of God, that God had mercy on us, and God died for us, and God raised for That's the only reason how we get saved. But that's not the end. You have to prepare. And if you think that I just can just keep on sinning because God's grace covers me. You're sadly mistaken. It's all over the Bible about that. That's not going to happen. So if you are under that impression because churches made you think that, get into scripture, test my words, go through the whole Bible and find out. But look at it because if you think that's what's happening and you think I'm just fine and I don't have to worry about it because I'm saved by grace and I call myself a Christian, you better check into it before Jesus returns um, or before you die. We never know when our time's up. We never know when we're going to die because whatever, we're, whatever condition we are in when, we, when our time is up, that's going to be the fate of where we end up. So this is something that all people need to take to heart and make sure that's why it drives me. It just makes me so upset when I just hear churches preaching grace because they're not giving the full story and people thereby are unprepared and they could be keeping people out of God's kingdom because people didn't know that they needed to do, they needed to do something. They needed to prepare they needed to accept this gift of grace from God. And in doing so, you prepare for God's kingdom. So make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're not hearing this, you know, um, gospel that isn't quite the whole picture. It is truth, but it's not the whole story. And 
that can be harmful to people who believe in part of the story, but not the whole story. So if you don't believe me, really search scripture, because when you do, I am confident that you will find it and pray to God to get that information too. So we've finished chapter 18 now. There's one more paragraph. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So by the grace of God, that's how we believe. Um, and it's also saying that um, he was proving from the scriptures, and the only scriptures they had were the Old Testament. You got to remember that, that Jesus was the Messiah. So it wasn't the New Testament. It was still the Old Testament, and they were using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah.